Today on Awaken to Grace, we have a special featured speaker, Glenn Stewart. Glenn is the student pastor at Preaching Christ Church, and today he is going to speak out of Mark chapter 8 on the man that the Lord opened his eyes. And what a great sermon Pastor Glenn brings to us. You know, he's going to answer many questions that I've had about this text. Why did Jesus lead him outside the city? Why in the world did Jesus spit? Why did it take Jesus two times to touch his eyes? Pastor Glenn's going to answer these questions and much more in this special sermon called Spiritual Blindness out of Mark chapter 8 in our greater series called Walking with Jesus, a study of the book of Mark. I'm so glad you're listening today on this edition of Awakened to Grace. So today we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 8. If you've missed the, the series so far, Walking with Jesus, through the book of Mark, go back to our free app, Awaken to Grace, catch up on it. Pastor Chad's done a phenomenal job through the first seven weeks getting us to where we are today. Um, I have to say, a little introduction of myself, I've been here since I was a sophomore in high school. Um, I was... Um, you know, 16-year-old kid who thought I knew everything, right? Uh, come to find out I knew nothing um, that I thought I knew when I thought I knew it all. Um, <clears throat> but in the two years I was here in my last, you know, I just finished my sophomore year of high school coming here, and in two years I grew tremendously in discipleship and what this church offers. And then just a short six months after I graduated high school, uh, this uh, the leadership of the church had this great, crazy idea of making me the leader of our middle school ministry to launch a new ministry for our church for eight, uh, grades 6 through 8th. And um, I had some great leadership helping me, and we, we worked together, and we launched that ministry. Uh, and then in 2016, after I graduated college, I was able uh, to transition to full-time staff here to do middle school and high school. And now, as of last month, we just launched the Young Adults Ministry, and um, that was a phenomenal. And tomorrow's our second meeting for that. So God is really growing our ministry here. When I first came to this church, I don't know if anybody in here remembers. If you did, you can raise your hand. Um, but when I first came, this wall didn't exist. So the lobby in the sanctuary is one big room. Anybody remember that? Oh, there's a few of us. Um, when I first came... The carpet was gray. The chairs were old metal gray that was a different gray. And then the walls was a different gray color. And it was just a big warehouse that we only had this room and this room. Uh, we didn't have any kids' wings open. And God has really blessed our church and blessed me and let me grow up under this leadership and in this ministry. So um, all that to say, God has been faithful. Amen. Um, and today he's going to be faithful in our teaching. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. And like I said, go back to our free Awaken to Grace uh, app and catch up on the first seven chapters. So there is six big areas in Mark chapter 8. I'm not going to read all the scripture because I'm not going to read 38 verses. And um, that's just not what I'm interested in doing right now. Uh, but I'm going to paraphrase as we go through this. Uh, Reading is just not my thing. I force myself to do it, but that's, that's as far as it gets. Um, so the first 10 verses is Jesus feeding the 4,000. And there's some people who believe 
that Jesus, uh, this recording of feeding the 4,000 is just a second recording of his first feeding of the 5,000. As I read it, and as I read other scholars, I see differences to make me believe this is a second feeding. So the first one was 5,000 and 4,000. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a great counter when it comes to mass people, but 1,000 people is a big difference. And when you think of it as families, you're taking 1,000 families difference, which could be anywhere from two to 5,000 people different. So I don't believe that this was the same recording. Also, if you look at the, the, the food that they had to bless, that Jesus blessed to feed them, was different. And when you look at the disciples collected everything, it was two different amounts. One was 12 baskets, one was seven. So there's a little bit of discrepancy there. So I believe that this was a separate feeding of 4,000 people. And if you read it again, they're in a separate uh, geographical location. <laughs> but in verse 4, I'm going to show you the, I'm going to show you through chapter 8, the, the, the commonalities of all these sections of Scripture. In verse 4, it says uh, this. It says, And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, I'm not going to say anything um, except for the fact that these disciples just saw him feed 5,000 families. These disciples just saw, and we've been walking through it, just saw him walk on water. And they have the nerve to say, Jesus, how can you do this? Looking back, it looks like they would be like, oh, that's great. Give us what we have. We'll separate it. We'll go. But they asked, they had a, the theme of today is spiritual blindness. They were blind to the glory of Christ. They had blindness. They still questioned. Verse 11 through 13, the Pharisees, the the religious people demanded a sign. Show us that you are the Christ. He says, um, no sign will be given to this generation in verse 12. They can't see Christ in his glory because they they have spiritual blindness. Verses 14 through 21, there's 11 of the Pharisees and Herod. And it says, um, let me find the exact verse it says. In verse 21 it says, do you not yet understand? So he's having this conversation with the, with, with the Pharisees and all these, and there's still spiritual blindness in this text, all differently. Verse 22 through 26, that's where we're going to focus at today. So I'm going to skip that. We're going to come back to it. Verse 27, finally, finally, Peter's like, Jesus is like, who do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, Elijah, a prophet, John the Baptist. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, right? I'm paraphrasing, but you can read it. He says, you are the Christ. So finally, we think that there's a spiritual breakthrough that Peter realizes who Jesus is, we think, but it's blurred. It's a blurred truth because if you keep reading, Jesus starts telling about his death and resurrection. And what what does Peter do then? He pulls him aside. Hey, you know what? You, you probably shouldn't be telling people about this. Uh, I don't like it. Doesn't make me comfortable. And Jesus 
actually calls him Satan. He says, he says get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. Now, I, if I was in Peter's shoes and I've been walking with Jesus and he calls me Satan, I, I'm, I'm not going to be happy about it. Because you know, you know that Jesus has told his disciples, yeah, I was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And this is how you combat it. Yeah, I've seen us, we've cast out legions. This is how you do it. So then Peter gets called Satan. He's like, Jesus, I'm your best friend. I'm one of your inner circle. But he had the spiritual blindness to not fully see the glory of who Christ was. So some cool things about this text. In verse 22 through 26, this is only one of two passages that is only in the book of Mark. All the other miracles that I have found, that I have researched, are in other Gospels, except for this one and the one in chapter 7 of the deaf and mute person. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, blindness is something that is very interesting throughout the Bible. And multiple times throughout the book of Isaiah... Isaiah writes that the Messiah will open the eyes of the blind. Multiple times. The one that I'm referencing is Isaiah 42, 7. That he will open the eyes of the blind. So that should be a sign that when Jesus walks on the scene and he opens the eyes of the blind, that that is Jesus. <clears throat> but there's a lot of spiritual blindness that prevents them from seeing that. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, if anybody's ever had a conversation with me, first of all, I love to talk. It's who I am. I'm doing, great, I'm doing great up here. This is this is my sweet spot up here. I love to talk. But if you notice, when I have conversations with our students especially, and they tell me about their day, or they tell me about what's going on, I tend to ask questions. I don't ask questions to disprove their story. Right? I don't ask questions to uh, disregard their truth that they're telling me. I ask questions to better understand what they're going through. So when people tell me, you're not supposed to question God, I, I agree, but. Yes, you're not supposed to question His grace, His sovereignty, His, his power, his, his authority. But I believe God wants us to question Him to better understand who He is. Right? God wants us to question Scripture. Not the validity of it, not the truth of it, but to understand what He's teaching us. So when I read through Scripture, I come up with questions. That I have to dig around and search through God and find commentary and figure out what the truth behind that is. So I understand what He's teaching us. I came up with four questions. The first one is, why did Jesus lead him out of the village? So before we dive into these, bigger, I can, I'm going to go back and we're going to read the text. So in verse 22, it says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. 
and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So four questions that I come across. The first one, why did Jesus lead him out of the village? That's interesting, right? Why couldn't Jesus just heal him in the spot? It's not like he had to go to a special place to heal somebody. Jesus didn't say, hey, you got to come over here beside the third tree, past the second stump on the right, and that's where I heal. That's not what happened. Jesus doesn't have to do that, right? He can speak things into existence. So why did he lead him out of the village? Some scholars say for more privacy. We read back in Mark chapter 6, I believe, all the disbelief that was going on. And you see time and time again, Jesus removed people when he, when he raised the little girl. He kicked people out of the house. So it could be the fact that he's just removing the disbelief around him. But if you read in Luke chapter 10, he actually curses the city of Bethsaida um, so because of their spiritual blindness and lack of repentance. So he's in this city that doesn't have repentance. So therefore, he takes them out of the city to perform this miracle. So why did Jesus do it twice? I love this question. Why did Jesus have to, have to rub his eyes and speak to him twice for him to clearly see? Some people would say, I disagree with this. Some people say it's because he messed up. We all know Jesus doesn't mess up, right? Like he's perfect. He didn't, he didn't have to do it twice. So why did he do it twice? I believe that Jesus is showing it is a, proce- a process for restoration. Sometimes it can happen immediate. Sometimes it's a process. Complete healing can take a process. Also, it shows that Jesus doesn't have to fit our mold. So they knew that Jesus could heal him by just touching him. We've seen it time and time again already. And Jesus showed that he doesn't have to fit a certain mold. He can do it his way anyhow he wants to because of who he is. So then the question number three, what does he mean by restored? Could he have seen before he went blind due to illness or accident? Did this man have sight before? The people that I read that are a lot smarter than I am, and through prayer, I feel like that he could. I was talking to Pastor Chad, and we all know Pastor Chad. He's blind, and he does, he does a phenomenal job up here. Memorizing all the scripture and the points, and I, not me. I, I can't. I got six pages of notes up here. I can't do that. He does a great job up here. We were talking, you know, he's, he went blind a couple years ago. And I was talking about his eyesight, and his doctor said that he would be better off uh, than a person born blind if he got one of the, whatever they call the robotic eyes or whatever lets him see. Because he already knows that he's sitting at a desk. He already knows what the color green is. He already knows what certain things are before he went blind. So he would have an easier time putting in one of those prosthetic eyes to help him see. But a person born blind wouldn't because they don't know what a chair looks like. They don't know what the colors are. They don't know what a desk looks like. They, don't, they have to learn all those things. So when Jesus asked him the first time, what do you see? And he says, I see people walking like trees. He had to know what people look like. He had to know what trees look like. And he had to know what a walking pattern looks like. So because of that, I believe this guy lost his eyesight later on in life due to illness 
or accident. And then why did Jesus tell him not to enter the village? It ties with the reason why he took him out of the village. The spiritual blindness and the judgment that Jesus had upon the city. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm going to spiritual blindness, but I'm giving you all the backstory first. There's four things that Jesus revealed through this passage. One, the evidence of him as a God, as, as a deity. You can reference that to Psalm 146.8. The second thing, he portrays a messianic kingdom in the future. Isaiah 29.18 and 35.5 shows the Messiah will open the eyes of the blind. Revelation 20, it says that death and disease will go away. He's showing this. This one's interesting to me. This one I had to dive a little deeper into because it, some things just spark my interest. If you know me, I got caught up on a scripture at the end of the last book of the Old Testament. I don't know if it's Micah or Malachi, I can't remember. But the last scripture, I was hung up on that scripture for like three months, trying to figure out what he was talking about. That's just who I am. I get fixated on some things. And this one, this point, I got fixated on. I had to dig a little deeper. This was the turning point of Jesus in chapter 8. He went from publicly doing ministry to now he is training his disciples to do ministry. That's why it tells about his death and his resurrection. This was the last miracle of his public ministry before he began training his disciples to do it. And the last thing is there was temporary spiritual blindness in his disciples. And that's where the blurred truth comes in. So what is spiritual blindness? Spiritual blindness, to be spiritually blind is to not see Christ. And to not see Christ is to not see God. I'll say that again. To be spiritually blind is to not see Christ. And to not see Christ is to not see God. At some point in our life, we've all had some type of spiritual blindness in our life. There's always been something that's constantly trying to deter or block our visual into who Christ and God is in our life. So as we go through this passage, we go through this whole chapter, the theme is spiritual blindness. We can see that there's different levels of spiritual blindness, and we'll get there in a minute. But I want you to understand that spiritual blindness is something that every person deals with. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you think you've known Jesus, no matter how much scripture you memorize, no matter how, you can actually be blinded by your own knowledge of the gospel. So I want us to take a moment and evaluate ourselves. Where is our blindness? Where is the thing? What is the thing? Where is the moment, where is the area of our life that prevents us from seeing deeper into who Christ and God is for us? So there's two steps to healing from, from blindness, spiritual blindness. The first one, it could be quick. How many times is, we've, we've seen it time and time again, a woman touches the hem of the garment of Jesus. Jesus speaks, get up, 
go home, right? Like, it can be instant. I won't mention names because it's not my story to tell, but there was a, there's a man in the church, and he's been uh, struggling with some, with, some, with some physical body issues for a while. And he went to a prayer service with us this week. And we had some people at this prayer service. The staff was there, and we all prayed for him. He said he felt better. I said he felt great, stood up fine, all of that. Went home, and his wife texted us, the staff, and said for the first time in months, he was able to play with his kids pain-free. God can still heal that fast, right? God still has the power through the Holy Spirit to heal us in an instant. But we also must realize that healing is a process. And I think that's what he's trying to show us is with the blurred vision and then the restored vision, healing takes time. Healing goes in steps. It doesn't have to be all at once. When we have people that walk with us, that pray with us, that love on us, that help us in our darkest moments, that is when the steps are taking its place. Pastor Chad, he does counseling all the time. He averages 230 counseling sessions per calendar year. It's a lot. It's a lot. And most of his counseling sessions are not one-and-done sessions. Because the understanding that healing takes time. So you may have a spiritual blindness in your life. And we're going to get the people in your life that you know that has spiritual blindness. Just understand that healing does take time. So there's a few types of blindness that us as Christians have to um, worry about. The first one is a non-Christian blindness. The people who don't know Jesus, Satan has blinded to the truth. Satan has blinded people to the point to where they can say their own truth is the absolute truth. Have you seen that? People think their own truth is absolute truth. All they are is being blinded by Satan to the true gospel. I want to pause here for a moment and just tell you something that I struggled with. Can I be open with you for a second? My wife is, she, yeah, she's back there. Our little boy's back. He's, can you believe he'll be a year in 13 days? My goodness. Some of you are all like, yeah, time flies when you have kids. Really? Figure that out now. Thanks. Um, but we are the only ones in my family that attend church. My sisters don't. My mom doesn't. My dad doesn't. My grandmother doesn't. My uncles don't. Everybody that I grew up in, no one attends church. I work in student ministry. And if you want someone to test your patience of the Lord, I'll see you tonight at 630. But it's great. But a lot of these kids, 13-year-old know-it-alls, right? And I get up here, 
or I have conversations with my family or with these students, and I, I'll pour everything I have into them. Scripture, prayer, reading, conversations, everything God has given me, I try to give to them. And I'll be preparing to have a message for middle school or high school, whatever it is, Excuse me. And I see this student, and like as I'm writing this out, I have their picture. Like, I know this is who this message is for. I know this is the message that's going to transform their life. And I get in here and I give it everything that I have nothing. And then I go home, and I'm my biggest critic. So, from between about 12 30 to midnight tonight, I will constantly be playing this sermon in my head thinking, what did I say wrong? What did I do wrong? How can I get better? It's just who I am. So I'll go home, and I'll be like, what did I say wrong? God, what did I do wrong that this person doesn't respond to the gospel? And then I had a, a pastor friend tell me, and it stuck with me to this day, your only job is to take the gospel to their ears. Right? It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to go from the ears to the heart for transformation. And I thought that the harder I preached, the longer I went, the more scripture I memorized, the more likely they were going to be transformed. And what I realized is it's actually almost the opposite. The more I love them, the more I encourage them, the more I walk with them is a stronger chance that they'll love Jesus. So the people in this room who have children, brothers, sisters, parents, spouses, that are struggling with their non-Christian spiritual blindness on them, it's not your job to change them. It's not your responsibility to change who they are. Pray for them. Love them. Share Scripture with them. Don't neglect sharing the gospel because it is the gospel through the Holy Spirit that will transform their lives forever. I just wanted to share that because I know that is something I've struggled with for many years of ministry is it's not on us. If it was on us, I tell our students all the time, if it was on me, it's for you to know Jesus, that'd make my job a lot easier to a degree because all i got to do is keep you locked in this room until you say you love Jesus, Right? Some of your parents are like, can you keep my kid tonight? You know, like, I get it. It's easy. I lock them into a room, they come out when they know Jesus. Like, it's that, but it's not. We don't change people. The Holy Spirit does. The second way of blindness that we all struggle with is too religious. The Pharisees were demanding a sign of who Jesus was. You know the Pharisees have already seen him Raise a girl from the dead, feed 5,000, feed 4,000 families, walk on what You know they know these stories. But so many times we have people come to church and check it off. Oh, I can quote more scripture than you. Oh, I've been to church more than you. Oh, I can do this long more than you. Or I can do this. And what they're doing, they're blinding themselves to the gospel by being too knowledgeable. Just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees had all the knowledge in the world. That was their job to know the Bible. But they missed the mark because they had spiritual blindness because they were too good of religious people. We can't be that. A non-Christian in the same room with two religious, like a too religious person, 
Oh, that's not pretty. I've seen it. This person tries to share all their knowledge, all their, all their experience, and this person has no care in the world. That's not the gospel. We can't be too religious in our life. It creates a blindness. The third one is too comfortable of Christians. See, I think that's kind of where Peter was at later on in the, in the text. He was too comfortable around Jesus. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, we want to be comfortable around Jesus, right? We want to have those conversations. But we can't let it prevent us from just going through the motions. We can't let being comfortable hinder what God has called us to be. How many of you know the Christian life is not the easiest one to walk out? Right? It's not a walk in the park. It's not a, I prayed one time for salvation and I'm good. What does the Bible say? You must work out your own salvation, right? We must work it out. <clears throat> so we can't be comfortable. We've got to push ourselves. When you look at an athlete training, <clears throat> excuse me, we look at an athlete training, or when you look at anybody trying to, they can't be comfortable where they're at. One of the, I was watching a video the other day, and I'm a sports guy. So I relate life to sports because that's who I am. So if you, don't get the, if you don't get this context, let me know, and I'll explain it later. But there was two guys, two legend basketball players, talking to an interview. One was Shaquille O'Neal and one was Kobe Bryant. And they both had retired by then. And Shaquille O'Neal actually left Kobe Bryant's team after they won three championships. He went to Miami, won a championship. Long story short, Shaquille O'Neal had one more than Kobe Bryant. So I didn't know for this story. He had one more championship. And the Kobe Bryant said, I needed that for myself. He said, the moment that you won that championship, I went outside at midnight and started running, preparing for the next season. He said, I can't be comfortable where I'm at. Kobe Bryant's workout was, he, instead of two a days, he did like five a day, five two-hour workouts a day in the offseason. No one else does that. Because he knew that he could not be comfortable where his skill set was at currently. He knew that. We know. We should know that our skill set or that our knowledge or that our faith can't stay where it's at today. We can't be comfortable where we're at. We've got to press on and work out our own salvation. So what's the fix? What's the fix? Matthew 13, 15 says it requires a change of heart. No matter if you're a non-Christian, no matter if you're a too religious of a Christian or too comfortable of a Christian, it requires a change of heart. So it comes through prayer, scripture, fasting, worship, accountability. I can keep going on and on about things we can do to practically help ourselves. 
but it requires a change of heart. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, Pastor Chad talked about faith with action. We must put in the work. See, if we look at all the blindness throughout this chapter, and as I told Chad, it's kind of ironic that the, the chapter of spiritual blindness, you're not the one teaching it. You're making me teach it. <clears throat> but the more I see it, the more we all struggle with blindness. The more I dove into, the more I realized that physical blindness is not the worst blindness to be in. Physical blindness just limits what you can see. Spiritual blindness limits who you are. Who you can become. And what you're called to do. So why did Jesus do it twice? Why did he have to heal the man twice, so to speak? Not because Jesus messed up. He's perfect. But he was showing us there's a process to our healing. And sometimes church has blurred our vision because of our legalism. So as we wrap up today, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about what blindness is in place. Are you too religious? Do you have too much knowledge? Think you're going through the motions? Are you too comfortable where you're sitting at today in your life? Do you have blindness to Christ because you've never surrendered to Him for the first time? What is your spiritual blindness? And the only way to fix it is a change of heart through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we stand up, as I stand up here and you sit here today, back to what my pastor friend said, the Holy Spirit allowed me to take the gospel from the book to your ears. Now it's time for you to let the Holy Spirit take it from your ears to your heart and give you a change of heart to remove the spiritual blindness in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for <clears throat> thank you for your word. Thank you for what you mean in your word for the different ways we can combat spiritual blindness. Yeah, but ultimately, let us have a change of heart for you today. Let us feel passion and a burden like no other. Let us remove the religious religious mindsets and focus on a relationship with you. Let us remove the comfortability. Let us strive forward, working out our own salvation for your glory. And God, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you and hasn't put faith in you, let today be the moment right now that they surrender their life and their heart to you for a change of heart that you say in Matthew 13. And God, I pray that we're not comfortable and we're not putting on these blinders. We are seeking you in all that we do. God, show us this week 
ways that we can remove the blinders in our life that hinder us spiritually. In Jesus' name.